Welcome to Be A Better Speaker with me, Graham David, expert speaker. And this podcast is for you if you want to be a better speaker, facilitator, presenter or trainer. It's full of practical tools, tips and techniques to help you be better. This podcast is sponsored by bluebeetle.co.uk and grahamdavid.co.uk. So in this podcast, I've um, a slightly different approach this time. What I'm going to be doing is uh, I have have my first guest. I'm very excited. And um, the reason that I want to do this, whenever over the last 20 odd years that I've been talking to people about how to be a better speaker, there's always two or three challenges that people always make. So the first one is, it's it's all right for you, Graham. You're really confident. Uh, I don't necessarily accept that. What they're working on is the basis of how they see me on stage. But that, that's one challenge. The second challenge is always, it's all right for you, Graham. We work here. They're all used to us. Whereas you, you know, you're different. You work in different places. Well, again, I would argue that, if anything, makes it slightly more difficult. And the third challenge is always, it's okay for you. You do interesting stuff. Well, I do interesting stuff like what? Leadership. Or I do interesting stuff like meetings or briefings. Not inherently interesting. But last six months, I've been working with uh, a new friend and colleague of mine, and uh, I'll introduce him in just a moment. And um, he has, has been kind of the opposite of everything I've just said. So he's, he's freely said sometimes I do get a little bit nervous about presenting uh, or speaking. Um, he's worked within organisations for, I think, my last 12 years or so. And uh, like anybody who delivers a lot of corporate training, much of what he's done has been the standard kind of training work that we all have to do. So um, he is also somebody that I've, I've noticed when he teaches people to, to, to speak better on stage, when he coaches them, when he, when he gives them some tools, tips and techniques, uh, he's able to, to help people very, very fast, very quickly to, to see some improvement. So I thought from a complete opposite of the way I normally work, this might be a really interesting interview. So um, Steve, welcome to you. Morning, Graham. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for uh, thanks for thanks for showing up. So, look, I'm going to dive straight into this. Um, I know when we first met, I said to you, "So, how did you get into this? What what was your your background to, to training?" My background was all about drama and presentation, so I had mm. perhaps an easy way into it. And I know that wasn't quite your way in, was it? No, no, absolutely. And I think uh, I think we say about being complete opposite. I kind of fell into training. It, it <laughs> kind of it kind of probably wasn't destined for me, really. I. Uh, I was working in a retail environment and, and seeing an advert come up internally for this great job as a trainer. Uh, applied for it, sent everything off, but being me and not reading the detail, missed a little bit at the bottom that said must have training experience in bold capital letters. Uh, and I suppose at that point you have a choice, don't you? You just decide, do I redraw my application or do I just think, ah, what's the worst that could happen? So I went, what's the worst that could happen? I went to an interview because I luckily got one. I turned up an hour late because of traffic. They had to rearrange the whole day because of me um, with seven other people to arrange. And you know what? I was very lucky that uh, the, the manager I was going to report to took a chance on me and, and genuinely just kind of fell into it. And many months later, I found out that part of the reason I got an interview was just because I had one of those surnames that was a bit unusual. So um, your, your surname is? Uh, Talent. Okay. So to be in the learning development world, I suppose it is something of a little bit of a, of a tedious link there. <laughs> and, uh, and also, it, they were very honest. Kind of, they just needed an extra number. Because um, they never heard of my name in the business, it just made sense to throw a wild card in. And it started there, really, for me. Okay. So um, 
One of the things you and I have both talked about over the last six months, we've been running um, uh, a large-scale module mm. all over mm. the UK, and one of the things we've talked about extensively is questions and mm. asking questions. Yeah. Um, so I'm just curious, from your perspective of, of being a better speaker, mm. what's the importance of asking your audience or asking your clients or your stakeholders mm. questions? I think if we go with stakeholders first, I think one of the biggest things that <clears throat> I think we've certainly noticed over the last six months working together is um, people don't always give you the information that you want free and on a plate in front of you. you they, they almost feel like they want to make you work for it. And I don't think that's a deliberate thing, but part of the skill that we have to have is asking the right questions to get the right information because if we're going to go and build a solution for them, um, I don't want to be coming back the same as you, Graham, and kind of making 10, 15, 20 amendments because we never asked the right questions at the start. So I think there's certainly a big piece around get the right questions out early on. And one of the things I learned from working with you as well was actually there's a planning piece to that, um, which I've always kind of done before, but I've done it on the hoof, if you like, whereas when we worked together, one of the big things that, that you certainly did was let's plan this out a week or two before we even go into that meeting, and I think that really helps. Um, and then when I think it's in front of an audience, there's a couple of things for me. I think I ask questions certainly because I want to get the audience engaged, and I think that's a really easy way of doing it because there's always somebody in a group that is in a really positive way, dying to throw their input in. They're the experts, and we should treat them like that. Um, so I think it gets them engaged, it pays them respect for being knowledgeable on their job, um, and I think sometimes it gives us a bit of a break. And There are times in, in, in sessions, whether that be learning interventions or whether you're doing some kind of conference or group speaking, where sometimes you just think, actually, if I throw a question in there, it gives me five seconds to get a sip of water and get another voice into the room. And I think it really helps, and... If people were listening to me for an hour, I could imagine how that might sound. So let's <laughs> cut that out a little bit and get more people involved. And, and, and you, you make an interesting point there. Mm. So you said when people in the audience are sometimes desperate to ask a question and they want to get their voice heard. Mm. And I know a lot of professional speakers and trainers, um, even people just giving a, a regular meeting and briefing, feel quite nervous about that don't they? But you seem to embrace the idea of the audience joining in. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you mentioned in, in, in uh, introducing that I'm a little bit opposite to you in respect that I've always worked for companies. And there's always been an element of nerves within me when I stand up and deliver anything, simply because you never always know how your audience is going to react. Um, so I think, I think for me that if you can get people involved, if you can ask a few questions, if you can welcome their expertise or even their perceived expertise... I think it just shows a little bit of respect for the people in the room. And I've always found that's helped to build, build relationships with people in groups. And whether I'm with them for 10 minutes or 7, 8 hours or 3 weeks as they've been in the past, it just helps right from the first 5 or 10 seconds to kind of throw something out there that gets people talking. And I find in my introductions, if I do that, it seems to warm the group up a little bit, or certainly certain pockets of it. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so in terms of um, building that relationship mm. with the audience, um, I, I often particularly with a train-the-trainer course, uh, I'll talk yeah. about confidence. And I, I will say, I'm only slightly joking that, that I walk a bit of a line between confidence and arrogance. Mm. And I'm aware that I do that. And it's, it, it's largely, it's okay. It's, it's about mm. being confident with your audience. But I think um, when I've watched you, particularly with audiences that might seem um, a, a little bit uh, frustrated mm. about something or perhaps they're hearing some bad news, mm. you tend to use uh, empathy mm. to, to a great deal and I think use it with with a lot of um, a lot of good results hmm. what's the importance of, of empathy as a speaker I think one of the biggest things for me is I've worked in 
many different industries, as yourself, have Graham, of course, with, with your experience over the years. But when you work in businesses, one of the biggest challenges I've always had within um, a training world is you're separate from the business. Now, we know what the cost of the business, um, but we're kind of separate. So if I show empathy to people, and I genuinely mean it when I show that, it just, it just says to the audience that, look, we're not saying we're on your side, but we understand how you feel. And I always find that adds to the group because it helps to relax people that they've got a voice. It helps to relax people that we're not going to go telling tales. We're not at school here. This is an adult-to-adult world. Um, and I think if they're able to voice some of their frustrations, what I normally do then, and I know certainly you do as well, is we build that into the session and kind of go, well, does what we've just talked about there help that frustration? 99 times out of 100 it does. There's always the outlier that you don't quite win. Um, but I find that showing that empathy just, again, helps to build the audience's kind of, I think there's a mutual respect there and it helps them to engage in the, in the, in the session, whatever that might be. And, and the, the, the big question always is um, moving away from empathy so your audience mm. is starting to, to relax, feel mm. a bit more comfortable and perhaps you're starting to feel a bit more relaxed mm. and comfortable. But we've, we've spoken before about nerves and overcoming yeah. nerves and um, for anybody who wants to be a better speaker, that's a big problem. Mm. People talk about the dry mouth, the shaking hands, yep. going bright pink, <laughs> <laughs> breaking out in a sweat. Done all of that. <laughs> so, so how... If at all, mm. do you have any strategies or techniques? How do you overcome nerves? I think one of the biggest things, when I first came into training um, 12, 12 and a half years ago, um, somebody who was a bit of a mentor to me, and I don't know if he realised he was, but he definitely was, um, spoke to me about what my background, all that kind of thing. And I'd been very open and said that even going back to school, I wouldn't speak out in front of people because I was embarrassed for, for various different reasons. It was just my way. Um, I suppose in many ways I was quite introverted, um, which is a bit odd from a training world because people see you as being extroverted. So one of the things I was taught very early on is know your material. And that's the, the biggest thing that stuck with me right from the start because whilst I'll always have some element of nerves, and I'm okay with that, if I know the material and I always know what's coming next or I know what the day contains, then it just helps me to keep the conversation flowing. So I never really get to a stage where I completely dry up and don't know what's coming next. I always know the material. And whether that's... Um, I've learnt it prior to the sessions, which most of the time I try to, or if it's I'm getting them doing group work and I can have a quick flick through of, a, of what the next section looks like and I can plan that out. Something along those lines really helps me to just be confident or appear to be confident. Um, and I think the other thing you mentioned about the, the kind of the dry mouth, that kind of experience, <laughs> just have water. It sounds daft, but that sip of water gives you a couple of seconds. It doesn't look odd to the audience. And it just helps you to, I suppose, in many ways, keep your throat lubricated because you're doing a lot of talking. But also, that few seconds that I then take a drink, somebody often throws a question in, which, again, takes a session in a different way and allows me to think, well, how do I link that back? So I think the biggest lesson for me is if you're going to stand up and speak to anybody, know your material before you do it because it adds massive credibility and you can keep things going. And keep the water there as well, of course. It's, <laughs> yeah, one big lesson is always have the top loosened because if it looks a bit foolish, if you can't take the top off, yeah. <laughs> we've been there. <laughs> okay, so um, mm. so so the, the the other question that I often get asked on train the trainers, and I'm sure you do, is um, everybody seems to have a a big concern about that awful member of the audience, the mm. difficult people. Now, mm. my personal experience, and, I, and I've said this for a long time, is whilst over the last 20 years, there's probably been, um, I think, three people mm. in total that I've actually had to ask to leave a session mm. because they've just been so disruptive mm. and they've interrupted other learners' uh, experiences. There's been many more I've wanted to leave, yeah. but, but there's only been three who have been so 
damaging, mm. I guess, and, and, and uh, destructive to, to the rest of the group. What's your take on how to deal with difficult audience members? Mm. A lot of new speakers worry about this, don't they? Yeah, and, and, and I can totally relate to that because I think when I started, that was my biggest concern, that I was in an environment where people had been working there for 20, 30 years. And I was, whilst I was doing a job within the business... Um, I've only been there a couple of years, and actually I was a lot younger than them as well. So I'd been in my kind of mid to late 20s at the time. They were 40, 50, maybe even as old as 60, and almost was a, what can you teach me? Um, so one of the biggest things that, that I do is if somebody's going to be that way and be a bit difficult, I always use them as, as, a, as a, bit of a, a bit of a let's get the experience out of you. You're someone who's, who's being a bit difficult, maybe wants to have a voice in the group, so I'll start to ask questions that I almost feel that I know I'm going to get something out of them. Even if it's a challenge to kind of say, this is a load of rubbish, great, because I can build on that and start to question and ask them and push them about their experience and what they would do in those situations. So, so I was going to ask mm. you, what, what's been your, your worst experience with that and, and how have you saved that? And it sounds like what you're saying mm. is um, when you identify you might have somebody who's going down that route... Yeah you actively engage them in, in the session. Yeah, absolutely. I think because one thing for me is if I don't engage them and I try and ignore them, it's noticeable to the rest of the group, which, which then from my point of view, I lose a bit of engagement from one person. And if you're there for a long time there on breaks, they're nitpicking at other people saying, well, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. Whereas for me, you can normally tell the look on someone's face or their body language and they walk in. It doesn't mean that everyone with folded arms is going to be disengaged. Yeah. But there's something about the way people greet you as the person in the room as well. So for me, I'll always throw a few questions out there about maybe who knows something about this topic. That type of thing. Um, and you know what? I've been the same as you. There's people I've wanted to throw out of groups, of course. I've been lucky enough I've not had to um, so far. But I think the biggest thing for me, ask a few questions, get them involved. And actually, no matter what they say sometimes, I always kind of go, well, I'm really grateful for your input. I'm really grateful for your input. And, and that's what I want to hear from the rest of the group. And, and it just helps to it just helps to keep them involved. Um, but <laughs> but I don't think there's a quick fix to it. I think it, it is a challenge that as somebody who's going to speak, you have to be ready for it. And I think you do, yeah. And, and, and actually, um, uh, the other thing is, you, you mentioned people their arms folded doesn't mm. mean they're negative no. and it's just pop psychology their arms are folded yeah. they've got to be negative yeah. well they're just comfortable yeah, they're exactly. just cold yeah. um, mm. and also I think there's a there's a thing that's got to be said that's true which is the fact that somebody might come in not really expecting a huge amount from your session mm. perhaps suggests they've not had good experiences previously so there's mm. an element of well I'm not really expecting a lot of this we'll see how you go mm. and um, a lot of speakers, a lot of trainers, a, a lot of in-house training, you've probably noticed, is death by PowerPoint. Oh. And, and when people are expecting that, they're probably not coming into your session in the most positive frame of mind, are they? No, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that, the way I overcome that is I'll just try and avoid PowerPoint <laughs> as much as I can. And I think PowerPoint is a really great vehicle to deliver a message if it's via a picture or a video. And I use PowerPoint every now and again and I mean me and you Graham over our six months we haven't used it once but every now and again to kind of go if that's a picture it just reminds me of a story I'm going to tell to link the material together so it's very very few slides um, a lot of the time I turn up with a flip chart and a pen and that's how we engage people that's what we do within the L&D world I like to think um, and for some of those people that have had bad experiences when they don't see PowerPoint that also warms them up and I find that difficult audience members are almost going where's the PowerPoint when there isn't one they can naturally warm up because it's a totally different experience so aside from knowing 
the content yeah. that you, you spoke about earlier. What else is important to you in preparing for an event? I think um, knowing where you're going to be working can help. Um, and again, I say that because I've worked in training environments before in terms of for companies rather than just kind of going out and travelling the country and that type of thing. Uh, whilst I've done that within the company, I've always kind of known what kind of venue I'm going to be in. So I think uh, knowing the venue, sometimes you turn up and the venue's a mess. So I think getting there really early helps. Um, I've been known to be there two or three hours early in the past because I know certain rooms are problematic. Um, and from that point of view, remove tables, just have chairs if you can, whatever you can to create a bit more room and a bit more of a, this is not a formal event, even though it sometimes is. Um, so I think that's a massive win for me. And uh, the more barriers you can remove for people like desks, the, the more they feel involved as well. So it adds to the engagement. Okay. Um, and, and just last couple of questions, I guess. Mm. Uh, really appreciate getting your, your perspective on all these things. All the time you've worked in-house for organisations, mm. um, you know a lot of places, a lot of teams and functions and departments will have those regular meetings. Mm. You know, they'll have the, the, the five-minute meeting in the morning, they'll have the once-a-week get-together, the buzz briefing, uh, they'll have the, the quarterly meeting, they'll wheel everybody into a room. There's an enormous amount of people's time at work spent attending those meetings. Now, if you're somebody who runs those meetings... Mm. whether they're the five-minute versions or the all-day versions. What do you think are some of the biggest mistakes you've seen that speakers or managers have made at those meetings? I think, firstly, it's almost too many of them, <laughs> um, because almost what can you share that's new? And when you go into a meeting, if people are already going in going, here we go again, which, you know, I've been in that environment in the past before coming into training, it can put you off. Um, I think the other thing as well is, it tends to be, if you're having buzz sessions or catch-ups, that type of thing, it tends to be, here's an update from the business, or here's a brief, or whatever it might be, and people just hold a piece of paper and just read from behind a piece of paper. Oh, it's tedious, isn't it? it? It's horrible. And they expect the group to go away and they've, they've nailed the message. Yeah, of course I understand. And then they blame them for not understanding the message. <laughs> um, and I think sometimes fewer meetings, but more impactful, where they do some kind of Let's, let's do some group work as part of the meeting. Let's do an exercise or just something that livens it up and then kind of go, well, and here's something that, that I'm going to talk to you about now. But it's not, it's come from the business. Here's just some information to share. Um, there's, there's an element here as well, isn't there, about who you're telling and why. So, yeah. so if I think back to uh, when I was in my 20s and the number of these meetings I had to go and listen to, and you'd sit there literally thinking, well, why does this impact on me? I don't know, I don't understand. You're just reading stuff. To take your example there, I'm just reading a list of stuff, mm. and it's irrelevant to most people. And that relevancy is difficult to find sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. And, and, and I can relate to what you say about being in your 20s and when I was in sales environments. It was just figures, 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 figures. That's great, but as a, as a, as a salesperson, I always knew where I was anyway. So it was almost like, well, can we get out so I can go and sell? And it almost became a little bit pointless. I think you're right. There's a massive piece around relevance. Um, and if it's not relevant, the person that's doing that briefing, that speak, whatever it is, needs to almost kind of go, well, what's the point? Well, that's the tricky bit, isn't it? Because if everyone's in this hierarchy and go, we'll read this out, because the Cascades are famous for this. Mm -hmm. The board or the senior leadership team will put some information together. They'll cascade it to the next level. They'll cascade it. And what they're hoping for is a cascade through the organisation with feedback passed upwards. But what often happens is I'm going to read this to you and beat you to, to unconsciousness by showing you all these slides. And then I'm going to be irritated that you didn't appear to react and you had no questions at the end. And I'm going to tell my boss that I did it and you're going to tell everybody it was boring. And if you've got other people to, to read it to, you're going to go, hey, I've got some more stuff. And, and no one at any point is going, 
How do we make this relevant or engaging? What do you want me to do with this information? And I think that's a question often missed, isn't it? Yeah, massively so, massively so. People just read something out, and like you say, I've done my bit, over to you. Um, and because of that lack of engagement, because of what we spoke about right at the start, about asking questions and getting people involved, it just doesn't help it just doesn't help the audience at all and it's and I think we in a society where we have meetings for meetings sake a lot of the time and it's just a little bit tedious for the people who have to sit there and suffer it and I feel sorry for them and I also feel sorry for the speaker to be honest because it must be terrible it's pretty painful yeah so so with all of those in mind you're I think you're saying that that as a manager or as a, as a supervisor in this kind of area You've actually sometimes got to question why you're doing this. Mm. You've got to consider what it is you're saying. You've got to consider what it is you want your audience to do with the information. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and I think if you can't answer those questions, it's almost, is this worth sharing? Because actually, let's not share it. Let's use the time better. That sounds sensible. So look, here, Steve, last question. Mm. And this is the last question, so big build-up, no pressure. <laughs> but I'm looking for a stunningly good answer to this one. So what's the single best piece of advice you've ever heard about speaking. Now, just to broaden it slightly for you, that can be speaking on a conference stage, it can be speaking at a wedding or mm. something social, you know, like a, a networking event or a, something like that, some professional development, uh, at one of these regular meeting sessions, a training session, in any of those environments, because they've all got similar skills required, mm. what's the single best piece of advice you've ever heard? I think it's got to be, be yourself. And it's a, it's, the, it's a simple one, it's not a technical one, but people can tell if you're being fake. People can see through other people. Uh, if you can stand up and you can be yourself, you can be credible, you can be engaging, whoever you are, people can at least see that is who you genuinely are. In the room, out the room, whether you're speaking in front of people, whether you're with your family, whatever it is. Uh, and I think that's the biggest thing that's always took me, and that's before I even kind of came into training if I'm honest it was one of the messages that came from family about just just whatever you do in life just be yourself and it's really stuck with me uh, th this comes down really to um, there is some style of presentation skills training mm. where they talk about um, you must stand in a certain way you must do this with your <laughs> arms you must, uh, must do power poses mm. uh, you've got to not move your head to, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of this going on or sometimes people assume I, I tend to use a lot of energy and a lot of humour when I mm. speak um, and people assume I'm saying that's what you've got to do we're not saying that, are we? We're saying no. however you are is probably fine. It's got yeah. you this far in life. Yeah. Do that, a slightly better version of that on stage, and we're sorted. Yeah, I think so. And I think this whole, whoever you are is good enough for whatever you're doing. So just be yourself and relax and enjoy it because it's a great thing to do. You on a good day. All right, well, look, that's, that's as always, Steve. Thanks ever so much for all your time. Well, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. And uh, I'll catch you next time. Take mm. it easy. Cheers, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Be A Better Speaker. If you'd like to help me to keep making these podcasts for you, please consider subscribing right now. Leave a rating or leave a couple of words of encouragement. It'd be great to hear your reviews. My name's Graham David, expert speaker, and this podcast is sponsored by bluebeetle.co.uk and grahamdavid.co.uk.